What is it that at one time in your spiritual journey that took great courage? It was radical that now seems the norm. Weeks before I was saved, <laughs> if you would have said I was going to be reading the Bible on a regular basis, if you would have said I would start praying to something, if you would have said you'll start attending church regularly, not just once during certain seasons, but you would attend maybe two times on a Sunday, maybe on a Wednesday. If you would have said, okay, somewhere in here, you're going to give at least 10% of your income to that organization. That was radical. It was radical. It was just such a radical thought in my mind, and it was going to take great courage on my part to step into it. Have you allowed what used to be radical that now has been, become the normal now to be defined as radical, though? It is your maximum. What used to be radical, what used to be courageous is now the norm, but you've allowed that just to stay the norm. What is there that currently that God is prompting you in? That if you took great courage, spiritual courage, we're going to talk about that. If, it took, if you stepped into that courage, what would it look like? It's really going to take courage. Now what? Now what? It really is going to take courage. Now what? When was the last time you faced a moment that you realized it is going to take great courage? First Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, as I was preparing this week and just reading Scripture, then I started to begin to, I mean, I began to think about Veterans Day and thinking about honoring the veterans and thinking about, obviously, one of the things that come to your mind when you're thinking about that is courage. I mean, you think of that, that probably was one of the quickest ways, or for our first responders, you think about it that way. But I think today, if we, we process this out a little bit, I think we're going to be able to apply this in a lot of different ways. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14 says, Be on your, in Paul's writing, last chapter of Corinthians 13, but Paul is writing, says, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Now, if you're looking for a couple of verses just to memorize, if you just wanted to 
lock these down this week and put those on your mirror at the house or uh, somewhere where you can see them or on your phone that pops up every day. I'd say these are pretty good verses to be on your guard. Stand firm. Be courageous. Be strong. I love this. Do everything in love. The tagline there, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it today, but I think it, it makes it, it's not a tag, it's not, and I'm saying it that way, but the word love there is agape love. And in most of you know it's divine love that we would define it inside the church. It almost had to have a word that was made up for it because it, it is that divine love. It's that unconditional love. It's that radical, supernatural love. It's, all, it's almost unexplainable. It is unexplainable apart from God. As we've talked about before, the only way that I can describe it to people, especially that maybe don't know Christ, and is, is that love that we have for a child when they're born into our home, immediately having an unconditional love for that child, and they've done nothing for us. And continue to have that unconditional, unwavering love for that child throughout their life when very well they may be doing things to try to keep us from loving and we still love them. There's something divine about it, something supernatural about it. Because our bent is to be self-filtered love first. That's who we are. Is it almost in as, as great as we may love our spouse, as, as much as we may define that, we still look at our actions first, how it affects us. Unless God does a great work in our life. So it's divine, supernatural. So Paul says what he, everything he says there. And you know he talks about standing firm in Ephesians 6. He talks about he is big into standing firm. But if you're going to do it, and that's the reason why it's so important that verse 14, it has to be supernaturally The Greek word here, and what I'm going to for courage, though, and I won't butcher it for you, even though I am really good at doing those kind of things. The literal version, it's only used in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. This version of courageous is only used right here. And what I love about it is it means to act as a man. Now think about this. Don't, don't go off going as an agender. Act as a full-grown, mature man. Paul talks about in 1, 1 Corinthians 3, 1, he said, By now I wish I could feed you meat, but you still act like what? Mere men. But here he is saying, in order to be courageous, act like a man. Be mature. Grow up. My voice last. I'm not sure it's going to. But I hope to break this down a little bit. 
But I love in, in, in the uh, Strong's what it goes on to say. It says, a full-grown, mature man says, be responsible and courageous by taking the initiatives God reveals through faith. Let me say it again. Maturity here, he's defining. Courageous here, he is defining. Of being responsible and courageous by taking the initiatives God reveals through faith. Let me say a couple things of what courage is not. Courage is not thrill-seeking. There are times we look at people doing certain things, you go, man, that must take great courage. No, there's just something wrong with them. Okay? It doesn't take great courage. There's just something not right about them in that moment. I love, I absolutely love driving fast. I love driving fast. But the reality is most of the time when I love driving fast, it is about moi. It's not about the safety of other people. It's not about the safety of people in the car. It's because something in me wants to do this. It's not courageous. It's about me. Except one time. When my sister overdosed when I was 18 years old, a senior in high school, my last month before I graduated from high school, she overdosed. She was 12 years, she's 30 years old, and her three children, you've heard me talk about it before, but her three children calling, said, Uncle Kirk, come down. I come down to their house about a half a mile, oh, not even half a mile, quarter mile away, and she's overdosed and tried to commit suicide, and she's written notes to, to different people in our family, and the, her, those kids are grabbing onto my legs, and they're going, what are we going to do, Uncle Kurt? I'm 18 years old. All I knew to do was pick her up, put her in the car, call my mom, jump in the car, and we went 20 miles. That's before 911 was everywhere. Even though I think 911 was around at the time in 1978, it sure wasn't across the country. It sure wasn't in rural Arkansas. Closest hospital was 20 miles away, and we made it in 15 minutes. In that moment, it wasn't a thrill for me. In that moment, there wasn't something wrong with me. In that moment, there wasn't something disconnected. In that moment, driving fast was about others. It took courage. See the difference? Thrill-seek, I mean, courage is not necessarily about obligation. Some of you go, well, I it may look like courage, but the reality is I didn't have a choice. I'm just obligated to do this. Rebellion. Courage is not a rebellion. Rebellion is always, hear me now, rebellion is always about me. Always. But look at the difference here. Outside the box for the good of others, Jesus. Jesus wasn't rebellious. Jesus didn't come with a rebellious heart. 
But man, did he disrupt? But Jesus did it for what? For the good of everybody else. You can be outside the box. That's different than what? Rebellion. Well, I'm just me, and I'm going to do what I want. There's a lot of I in there. So courage of what we're talking about today is not about thrill-seeking. It's not about just being obligated to go do something. It's not about going out and being rebellious and just, I'm going to do things my own way. That's not what we're talking about. It's really going to take courage. Now what? We saw it last week, and I appreciate the message of the Oslin family last week. It's courage. If you hadn't had a chance to listen to that or watch that, I just encourage you to go do that. It was powerful. See, courage, I think it's Erwin McManus says this, it's stuck in my head all these years. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the absence of self. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the absence of self. So a few things that I'm just going to throw at you here, you can do with them what you wish, but courage partly is preparation of anticipation. Courage is that you prepare yourselves beforehand to act in a way that if you had not prepared yourself, you couldn't. It involves discipline. I mean, I think about people who witness for Christ, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But to, to get the word in me, not knowing when I may use it, but it's that anticipation of not knowing what's coming, but I'm preparing for what may come. It's choosing what you want most, not what you want now. What do you want most in life? Not just what you want right now. But it's preparing yourself. It's a commitment to a cause, not knowing what the next turn is. I've had the opportunity as a, as a basketball player over the years to, especially in high school and then played quite a few years after that, of being able to take the last shot in a game. Well, the reason why I wanted the ball and wasn't because I thought I would get a lot of glory out of it. It really never even crossed my mind. I wanted our team to win. That's the reason why I wanted the ball because I thought I was the best person for the ball in that moment. You say that sounds arrogant. Yeah, borderline's on it, but here's the deal. I'd shot that shot thousands of times in my backyard. I'd shot that shot. I was willing. I knew you might miss it too. Fortunately, I've had the opportunity to make about, a, about half of them, miss half of them. I've probably had about a half a dozen over the years to have the chance to take the last second shot. Some lose, some win. 
But if you'd have picked the guy on the end of the bench and just joined the team, he just wanted to be on the team because he got a jersey and wanted to hang out with everybody, that would have been a pretty big crisis for him in that moment. But in those clutch, and not only if it necessarily takes courage in that moment, because in that moment you're not thinking about courage. In, the moment, in that moment you're thinking, I've prepared for this. And I step into this now because I've been preparing. So part of what you're going to be able to do in, in walking this out with Christ and being mature, as he defines it here, as a man and being responsible and hearing God's voice he says, taking the initiative of God's prompting to walk by faith is preparing yourself to hear his voice. Get used to hearing his prompting. Get used to responding when he says to respond, even if it's in small things. You've prepared yourself to know I'm willing to step into that. I've stepped this out enough times. So when I come in here on Sunday morning, I'm sitting there last night I'll be honest with you, preparing for today's message, I wasn't prepared. And it may become more evident as we go along, but the point is this. With confidence, I knew by the time I got here today, because multiple times I've done this, multiple times I've known God, I've walked with God through this. Because I've tested it. I don't mean presumed on God. That's not what I'm talking about. But continue to prepare, but continue to get the word in me, continue to expose myself, continue. And I know God will somehow or another will intersect these things in his time. So preparation of anticipation. Being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see, that God's going to use it in his time. The second thing is initiation, and they kind of go together, or initiative. Because I love what he says, being responsible and courageous by taking the initiatives, by taking the initiatives, God reveals There are times God prompts us, but he's still waiting on us to do it. Initiative is what? It's not given, it's what? Taken. You take initiative. I can't give you initiative. I can expose you to all kinds of things. I can give you the best tools I know how to do it. But at the end of the day, you have to take initiative. We've heard it here before. Everybody has a reason to do nothing. Everybody has a reason to quit. Everybody has a reason. Everybody can build excuses. Everybody. Another phrase you could use here is take responsibility. In other words, you have got your head up. 
You begin to see the world as Christ would see it the best you can and ask him to give you back in preparation. Say, Lord, give me your eyes. I want to pray, Lord. I want to see what you see. What if you started praying that? And then all of a sudden the Lord begins to say, hey, you're part of the responsibility of everything, everything that's going on around here. That something is up, something greater is at work here than my comfort or my ease. I hear people at times say, man, I'm just looking for ease. I can't imagine that when you see what all's going on around you. I just can't even fathom that. That our, that our main point in life is comfort and ease. Jesus went to the cross, died on the cross, and raised from the dead to give you comfort and ease? Read this thing and look for comfort and ease. Look at all the characters in here. They're out of their mind for the most part. They're radical. There's nothing about comfort and ease in here. I'm not saying it's not good to have some comfort, and I'm not saying there's not times to to step away and have ease. That's not my point. You're missing it if you walk out of here today hearing that. But that is not the goal. It's to be responsible, to take initiative to see what's going on around you, and when God prompts you, step into it. That's different than comfort and ease. You can choose comfort or you can choose courage, but as a leader, especially as a believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot choose both. You've got to choose one or the other. Another part of this is I believe you become vulnerable. You're vulnerable. Many of you know that when we teach in Uncommon, one of the phrases, actually they're going to start it this week, those who are in in Uncommon, it's called walk in front. And the phrase is, he who walks in front walks closest to death. And it's a military term, and I think it's honors today in that way, a military term which means point man or the person that's out front, the person that is in the most exposed position. They're vulnerable from the strong. What have they done? They've prepared themselves in anticipation. Special forces, what do they do? Man, they've run through so many different things, so many different scenarios. They are willing to look and say, man, I'm going to be on the point. I'm out on the point, and I'm preparing myself for whatever comes. I don't know what's coming, but I'm doing everything I can to prepare for those moments. Jesus was the greatest point man ever, by the way. When he hung on that cross, I'd say he's a little exposed, a little vulnerable. But do you think he was, what Jesus says, no one takes my life, but I do what? I lay it down by my own accord. You don't take my life unless I let you take my life. Was he vulnerable from the weak? Of course not. 
He was vulnerable from the strong because he had anticipated, he knew where he was headed. He had submitted to the mission that the Father had given him. He had clarity about why he was doing what he was doing. He was strong. But he was vulnerable. Brene Brown talks about it. He said, you know, the reason people don't like being vulnerable because, again, it, it's not a very manly word, if you will. But she says this, vulnerability is the emotion that we experience during times of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Let me say it again. The emotion we experience during times of uncertainty, risk, risk and, ex- and emotional exposure. And she asked a group of special forces. She asked these soldiers if they had ever witnessed an act of courage from another soldier that did not require experiencing vulnerability and to which they could not answer. Never had they seen a soldier and their special forces that did not have uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. People become vulnerable in this courageous sense when they begin to say things like this. I mean, it could be in a lot of different ways, but like this. To look in a circumstance, to look in a situation, look at a church setting, look in their community, look in their peer group and go, this is unacceptable, guys. Or look at their marriage and go, this is unacceptable. This is, we, we were made for more than this. We were, we were created for more than this. How, how did we ever decide this is good? How did, we ever make, how did we ever lower the bar to say this is okay? And you have the courage to step into that, not for your good, but for the good of the whole group because you're doing it in love because you know you were created for more. But man alive, if you just caused yourself to be vulnerable, Let me tell you what special forces people would not do. They're not going to go into whatever that mission they have without asking all the right questions. They're not going to go into that mission looking around at the other guys going, I'm sure glad you accepted this as the low bar because we're just low bar people. I'm glad you don't know what to do here. That's okay. You're just in and we're in it as a group. They would never do that. They're going to challenge each other. They're going to say, we were made for more than this. If this mission is going to be acceptable and it's going to be successful, I cannot do this and not ask the hard questions. I cannot do this and push you to be everything God has called me. He didn't go ahead and say God. They, don't, they may use the word God, but not probably in that sense. He would never accept that. And they're willing to be vulnerable with their whole group because they know it's the best for the mission. They would never, ever, ever. Or they'd get kicked out. If you had a question beforehand and the mission went on, and because you didn't ask the question, someone got hurt really bad, 
they would look at you as someone who let them down. Courageous. What group are you possibly in right now where somebody in that group needs to step up and say, we were made for more than this. Where we're living right now is unacceptable, maybe in your marriage. You need to look at each other today and say, this is unacceptable where we're living. Just to try to make it to here and ease, this is unacceptable. God has made us and our marriage for more than this. Parents, I want to talk to you right now. It's going to go on to the next one. If you decide to be a person of courage, it is disruptive. It is going to cause disturbance in your schedule. It's going to cause disturbance in your finances. It is going to cause disturbance in all kinds of different things. Parents. especially kids at home still. You were never designed, number one, to be your kid's best friend first. You were not. God put you in an office in their life to be responsible and courageous to do the right things. For them, and, it's, and if they become your best friend later, that's awesome. That's a byproduct. But that is not your purpose. Matter of fact, I'm not, I'll just say this about me. I'm not in your life to be your best friend first. I'm here to be your pastor and to hopefully profit, to speak truth into your life and into mine, I hope, at the same time, to speak that I'm not here to be your best friend first. I hope to goodness that we can have that as a byproduct. I hope to goodness I can be brothers and sisters in Christ and we can walk together. But that is not my purpose in your life. And if I'm not willing to be vulnerable, if I'm not willing to walk in here week in and week out and expose myself a little bit, sure, the first time I ever preached, it took courage. I'm the guy, again, I hated public speaking, like many of you. I mean, they say the greatest fear anyone has in, in our culture is the greatest fear is public speaking. Number two is dying. Now, think about this. People would rather die than give a speech, <laughs> if that's not crazy. Think about that. It took courage. And let me tell you why it took courage in our definition today. Because God had prompted me and called me to do it. I hated it. I didn't want to do it. Didn't want to do it for a long, long time. But I kept stepping up because I knew God had told me to. So I kept obeying. That's not the issue. That kind of courage I don't, I don't need anymore. And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a, in a bad way. I mean, or in a minimizing way. That's not the courage we're talking about or why I get up here each week now. The courage I do each week is now getting up here, or say each week or whenever I'm up here, is to speak the truth with love, 
to be vulnerable and know that what I say may disrupt people's lives and may even disrupt my life, may disturb me, and may disturb you. And matter of fact, you might not come back. You just might not come back. I have to deal with that in this way. When people leave the church, and it happens more often than I wish, don't you wish you could just select the people who leave? Yeah, you just go ahead and go. You can, no, just go. I, I, I digress. I digress. I'm just kidding. You're probably not in here. The ones I'm thinking, you're probably not. But really, when people leave the church, especially as a lead pastor, it never was before, it's personal. It's just personal. You can slice it however you want to. It's personal. I know, I don't, you know, it just is. But you've got to figure out how to work through that because I'm called to do something. I'm called to something. You have to immediately go as, as personal as it is. And no matter, some, sometimes people don't tell you anything. It's still personal. But if you're called to do it, step into it, and it may disrupt and disturb others. And last one is this, is decisiveness. You've heard me say this over and over in the last few months, and the Lord just really has hammered this in me. Decisiveness brings power. Decisiveness brings power. Ultimately, obviously, it's the Holy Spirit. But when you say, when you, when you reach a point, when you realize the power and authority you walk in has no rival because the God you serve has no rival, you begin to act different. You begin to live different. And what's so great about true Christianity is, is that we don't use that power and authority to lord it over others or manipulate others or intimidate others. We use it to serve others with his love and advance the kingdom. But I'm telling you, the most inspiring people I've ever met in my life is people who have clarity about where they're headed. They're on a mission for God. Why I always loved hanging out with Brother Paul Holderfield, senior, well, I love both of them, but when he, when he moved him, when I met him in Little Rock years ago, was he had a clarity that was anointed of God. I wanted to hang out with him because I don't know many people like that. I want to hang out with those people because it's somehow or another, it's like osmosis. It gets on you. But there's a huge warning that goes with all this. There's unanticipated cost. It's like when I flip a house all those years, all those houses I've flipped, there's always unanticipated costs that are inside of it. I don't know what all those are. I don't know what all they are for you. I don't know what all they are for me, and if I'd have known some of them along the way, I'm not, I don't know if I'd have known, if I'd have known them ahead of time, I'm not sure I would have accepted it the way I have. There are times, I, yes, when I came to know Christ, 
December 14, 1986, and I walked down front. Now, I walk down front all the time right now. It doesn't take any courage at all, but that day it did because I was thinking about Jan and Sydney. What I was doing, I wasn't even thinking about the night before. I thought well, I was going to hell and I, without Christ, but I gave my life to the Lord. But the next day, I knew I was doing the right thing. And I stood in front of that church. I had no idea. And the, and, the, and, the, and the invitation that day was, wherever he leads, I'll go. And I came, and I remember, I don't know what the sermon was. I know what the invitation song was. I had no idea what that, no, no thought of what that meant. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Are you kidding me? Why would I want to walk down to that song? <laughs> but I did. Take up your cross and follow me. I heard my master say is how that goes. Man, there have been many times I said, I want to lay this cross down. I'll, I'll always love you, Jesus. I'll always follow you, but I don't want to carry this cross anymore. I don't know what all is out there in front of me, but I better be preparing today for what may be out there because he's going to call me to step into a courageous moment. And let me tell you, friend, it won't be without fear. But if God's doing a work in me, it will be, about, it will be without self. The biggest issue most of us have in here is self. We all have fear. Fear may never go away in that sense. And I'm talking about do not be afraid. We've been given the spirit, not of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I'm not talking about that. We have been given a spirit of power, but that doesn't mean in our flesh we still don't have fear. But if we're courageous, and we've been emboldened to walk this out in love, because it's all motivated by what? Love. It's all motivated by others and him the gratitude and the thank you for what he's done in our life and the love for others to know about him and to live into the fullness of what he's called them to do and be. Actually, be before do. Some of you have debated being baptized. One, Baptism is an outward sign of an inward commitment. Yes, it is definitely that. Jesus was baptized. His followers throughout the New Testament were baptized some almost immediately. Yes, it's what believers do. It's what we do. And I think you do it as soon as you can once it's offered. It's what we do. But I have a question sometimes people ask me. What if I've been baptized before? And they say, should I be rebaptized? And let me answer you this way. We, especially in the Church of the Nazarene, we do not believe people need to be rebaptized. No matter what point necessarily you were baptized, as a child or whatever. But this is what I want to say to you, though. Think back to that experience. What did it mean to you then? What would it mean to you right now? Because I know for a fact, my lovely wife was rebaptized. Not that the first one didn't work, but it meant something different. Allie was rebaptized here. She'll tell you it was a turning point. And she was, she was baptized as a child. 
It meant something different. It is, why would you not want to share? I'm not saying we rebaptize everybody. That's not what I'm saying. But why would you not want to share with friends and family what God has done in your life? And it's going to take courage to tell your story. It's going to take that. You may be a little vulnerable, but I'll tell you what, friend. God may use you in that moment to change somebody else's life through your testimony. I made it. I turned 60 years old in about 10 days. Yeah. I told Jan the other day, man, I am ready to see the 50s in my rearview mirror. It was a rough, rough decade. I'm ready to go. Hey, I'm ready to see 60. I ain't no problem with that at all. I'm willing to take more risk. I'm not looking for ease. I'm not looking for comfort. I'm looking for a God-given mission, wherever that is. I'll just be honest with you, wherever that is. And whatever he's calling me to do. I don't want to wait. I don't want to go so long that I run out of courage. I don't want to wait till I'm 75 maybe and just go, yeah, I don't have courage anymore. That ran out at about 64, and I, I didn't know it. No, now! Why not now? Man. What used to be, Josiah, you can come on down. What used to be radical has now become the norm. And there needs to be a new radical. Let me say it again. What used to be radical that now has become the norm that you need a new radical? And what I mean by it is, if it was easy, why it's radical? And I don't mean radical like, like you're going to go out and do something crazy, crazy. What I mean by radical, if it was easy, you'd already done something about it. It's going to take what I talked about today. It's going to take courage to be strong and do it for the right reasons, the love of Christ. What needs to be, what is God prompting you right now to say it's time? It's time to trust me. What's so great about this word courageous in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, is it's so tied to the word faith. And as most of you know, the Hebrew people would have said, you don't have faith unless you're faithful. You don't have faith. Faith's not a concept. Faith is experiential. Faith is not knowledge only. And it is that. It is experiential. It's relational. Or you don't have it. You just simply don't have it. Quit calling it that. Unless you're faithful. We would love to see a few of you back here. I'd love to see the room full. But I didn't come here today to try to talk you into getting rebaptized or all that kind of stuff. What I came here today is just to ask you to listen. The fact you serve a God 
who has a tremendous plan for you. And when you realize you serve that kind of God who has no rival, you do begin to think different. You begin to live different. I read the statistic this week. 80% of people who don't attend church said that if a friend of theirs invited them, they would attend. 80%. And they said, in the last year, only 2% of attending Christians have invited anybody to church. Is that not crazy? Isn't that crazy? Didn't they ask to take a lot of faith? I didn't ask you to go out and stand on the corner with a blow horn saying, turn or burn. And we just said, invite a friend. Why don't you stand? Step for some of you today may just be coming and gathering around the table and communion. Don't worry, I know I've been sniffling, so I'm not going to take communion. I'll take the little, little cup, so you won't have to worry about that. But the way we do it here at Renovation, just logistically, is we come down these aisles here. Uh, if you're on this side, aisle here on this side, come by and you'll take the bread and you'll dip it in the cup and partake of it here, the bread and the, and the, and the juice. Here. And it is juice. Someone asked me a few weeks ago. It is juice. And I just want to make sure that was clear. Because some churches here in town do it different, both. And so just to make sure of that. But as I said earlier, one of the great things about coming around the table is this thought of remembrance. Or, or, or it is remembrance. It's this gratitude of what Christ has done for us what he is doing in us, and what he wants to do in us. It's all of it. And he wants to give you courage that can only come from him. Lord, we pray right now across this room, those who have come today, Lord, and been earshot of my voice, Lord, and most of all, your spirit. That, Lord, that they would walk away today knowing that, oh, fear may be around for a long time in their life, maybe to the day we die. But if we somehow, some way, deal with self through your spirit who says, let me feel you and change you, we'll be able to, our marriage will be different. The way we parent will be different. The way we go to work will be different. We will be different and courageous for the good of others and to your glory. And Lord, we come around your table today just remembering the blood that was shed in your body, Lord, as we join the saints through the centuries who've come this way. We love you today. Lord, encourage your people. They choose to participate, Lord. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.